Are you ready to become awesomer? Hello everyone, this is Umar Hamid, your host, and welcome to the No Limit Selling Podcast, where industry leaders share their tips, strategies, and advice on how to make you better, stronger, faster. Get ready for another episode. Hello, everyone. I'm privileged to have Brian Razak here, the President CEO of Social Toaster. Did I get the title right? Uh, it's actually former CEO. We uh, just had a management transition. I'm uh, the chairman of the board and the founder, uh, but we were fortunate enough recently to bring on a, a new CEO with a really exciting background. And um, so now I am day-to-day assisting in the position of CMO. So in 90 seconds, tell us who you are and what you do. Uh, again, my name is Brian Rizak. I'm the founder of Social Toaster, and uh, we are a company that provides a social marketing and advocacy platform. We help businesses to identify, engage, and recruit individuals on social media to help promote their brand. So we get a better sense of who you are, Brian. Who is your favorite superhero, and what attribute speaks to you? <laughs> well, I'm gonna I'm gonna cheat this one a little bit because we. Uh, we actually, as part of our marketing strategy, we came up with our own superheroes. We call Tell them me. the supers, and uh, they're they're led by uh, Mr. Social, who uh, you know helps companies to uh, to be more effective on social media. But we've got a we've got a bunch of other great great characters that we've created as well, including the influencer, visibility girl. Uh, we we got a bunch of them. So I I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say we have our own superheroes here. Way to promote. We know you're in marketing. <laughs> Brian, uh, you know, starting a company from idea to, you know, making it real and stepping aside, getting a new CEO, there's been probably good days and dark days. Brian, what motivates you? What keeps you going even in the tough days? That's a great question. You know, what motivates me is I'm the type of guy that likes to tackle problems uh, and come up with solutions and you know the the whole idea behind social toaster came about as a result of a belief that social media has value to businesses but uh, helping businesses to to really determine what that value is uh, and then how to go about a process to achieve that value that's a huge problem uh, it was a problem when you know founded the company a decade ago uh, and it's still a problem today so you know the thing that motivates me is, is as long as that you know problem exists or a problem that I've decided to tackle exists I'm gonna get up every day and try to figure out a way to make it uh, make it better and help solve it your communications have probably evolved mm-hmm. think back to you know the early message in the early days versus what the message is now has it changed the core message has never changed. The core message is how do you, as a brand, as an organization, how do you engage people that know you, like you, love you, want to help you? How do you actually get them to do that? How do you get them to share content and be active on social? So that uh, message of helping to address that problem has never changed. But the implementation has evolved radically. You know, brands that we talked to in the early days uh, that have seen our platform recently 
can't even recognize what you know that we're the same company. Uh, so certainly the implementation is is fundamentally different. So it sounds like you know uh, human beings that uh, we have a purpose and that's a direction that never changes, but the tactics along the way do. So we evolve as uh, executors, but the mission remains uh, constant. Uh, absolutely. I mean, I think in business and life. Flexibility, adaptability uh, are, are key. This is absolutely an industry that has no clear roadmap. You know, in order to to move forward and uh, stay relevant and and uh, provide value to customers, you know that that north star, so to speak, you know, really has to be something that's ingrained in in everybody in the organization. You know, that allows them to make decisions. You know, in the absence of a map to help you know guide the process and make sure they're they're moving in the right direction. Brian, who's your mentor? There's a question that gets off a lot. You know who who mentors and role models are. I can break that up. You know I think you're, you're the person who inspires me is probably my dad, uh, which is a common answer I know, but uh, I'll, I'll use it anyway. He's a physician, but he came over here with uh, literally eight dollars to his name and and you know uh, built something for himself. Uh, so that always kind of in- inspires me and motivates me when I think about you know where I am and, and you know what I'm doing. Uh, but then I have other professional mentors, you know, people that I work with. You know, there's a, a gentleman I worked with for quite some time, a guy named Bill Clark, who um, I know him well. He yeah. actually recorded an interview a couple of episodes I, ago. I, I saw that, so you know Bill, and uh, so you know he's a personal friend and, and another mentor, and he's you know, been through a lot, and, and uh, you know I, I look to some of his example to try to learn and, and improve. So. You know, one of the frustrating things about this interview, uh, doing podcasts, mm-hmm. is the podcast with Bill is a good example. We finished the podcast. It's a great recording. The recorder comes off, and then Bill says, you know, I should have told you about uh, this company I built that had a revenue of $150 million a year. A giant company came calling, and I was kind of full of ego. And he tells this amazing story that should have been on the podcast, but only <laughs> happened after we stopped recording. It's like, darn it, Bill. It, it it is an amazing story. Uh, it's his story to tell, though. But I'm aware of it, and and you definitely should get him back for round two. But uh, I'm 100. That's and that's the type of experience that you know. I, I think it's when we talk about mentors. To me, a mentor is someone that's active in your life and is you know, is able to help guide you, right? Versus a role model, where I know a lot of people throw role models out, like. You know, Steve Jobs or, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But being able to have a relationship with somebody that has been through a lot and to, to then try to be receptive and learn from their experience so you don't repeat it, I think is, is important for any business leader. So my favorite Steve Jobs story is one where he is in the master, you know, imparting wisdom. He was the student. Mm-hmm. Uh, the marketing agency, uh, they were trying to help him sell one of his products. And he was adamant that, you know, it's got these five amazing features that we have to tell people in the ads about. That's, you know, I'm Steve and that's what I want. So they're frustrated. So one of the guys gets his legal pad, rips off a sheet of paper, makes a ball, says, Steve, catch. And he throws it to Steve and Steve catches it and tosses it back. Mm-hmm. Then he gets another four balls of paper. So he's got five in total. And he goes, Steve, catch. And Steve can't catch any of them. Right. And Steve goes, all right, I get it. One idea <laughs> and promote it. <laughs> now, you know, that's, I think that's key with any sort of communication, right? Um, have one message, make sure it comes through. And I think that also translates even into your business, right? Do uh, I have another guy that I worked with a long time ago uh, who always used to tell me, do one thing, do it well. 
and um, you know that's something that tried to take to heart you know so uh, for us today in Social Toaster do one thing, do it well. And I like that Jim Collins in his Good to Great uh, book, it was like, you know, what's something you could be best in the world at? Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, but I can do many things is is the answer. And it's like, you no, know, pick one and, and become great at it. Yep. Brian, uh, tell me about your first sales job. I think I might be a bit unique in that I've never actually worked for anybody else. Uh, I started my first company out of, uh, actually while I was a student at Johns, Johns Hopkins. I've run my own businesses ever since. So my first sales job was that first company. It was a web development company, you know, started up by myself with and with a couple friends in the sort of stereotypical the in, dorm, yeah. right, in the, in the dorm room. By the time I graduated, I had four full-time people and kind of grew the business from there. So that was my first experience was was as a student slash founder of a web development company. What's the best deal you've ever done? I think some people might confuse that with the largest deal mm-hmm. you've ever done, the most notable deal, right? The the biggest name recognition. And it's tempting to you know throw out some great names of, of really amazing companies we've worked with. But in order for it to be the best deal, I think it's got to be a relationship where everyone really you know benefits where both parties are 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 growing and and evolving let me come back to that but i think there's something valuable you said there Mm -hmm. because there's many ways to do business but if you're doing business in a way that you add value to all the participants and that's the lens you look at deals through then that's where you kind of build that network of allies across uh, the landscape yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I would say today probably uh, we work with the Schubert organization out of New York. Um, they uh, have a number of Broadway shows, and you know we worked with them for many years. You know, they're a, a good example. I'm not, I'm going to say they're the best deal. We have a lot of really great deals. It's hard for me to pick just one, but you know that that's an organization that we're you know um, we're involved with. We have good dialogues. We're able to help. Uh, come up with new tools and solutions for them that expand even on what we're doing. And uh, so, you know, that would be, for me, a good example of a company. Brian, tell me in your career, tell me about uh, a come-to-Jesus moment where you had to do a pivot or overcome a major obstacle. I mean, when you're the founder of a startup in a volatile world like social media, it seems like almost uh, every week there's some sort of, uh, you know, evolution or crisis or something comes up but um, I'd say as a company we had a a kind of a defining year in 2016 where you know we were doing with and we still do quite a lot of work with major ad agencies one of the things uh, that we had emphasized fairly heavily heavily was the media side of social buying media advertising on Facebook and some of the other networks as we were growing that business, it became clear that um, while there is a tremendous amount of value to be had in media, and we still do it today, that that for our vision, again, focusing on this idea of really helping brands to truly engage authentic, organic customers, supporters, that buying ads as the primary business for us was not the right direction. We had a, a really defining year where we made a decision to dial that business back. And we provided, but now we provide it in support of the core mission, which is really um, you know, being a platform that 
is uh, interesting and exciting and helps to helps to actually get real authentic fans to help promote uh, the brand or be part of that brand messaging. And so, uh, you know, that was a, a, a very big year for us. You know, in terms of why it was a pivot, critical because we had invested so much in moving in this direction around media. And, you know, we'd extend a lot of resources. We'd brought on a large number of people uh, to support that initiative. And we just realized that it, it was not the best direction for us. And so refocusing on the core SaaS, while the right thing to do, uh, had a lot of uh, repercussions associated with it. Tell me about internal discussions. Was there a proponent within your company saying, no, no we got to stay the course? Like, what, was, what were those discussions like? Oftentimes, people get uh, locked into, we've made this decision, we've invested, we've got to stay the course. Mm-hmm. So how do you have the the courage to say, no, wait a minute, we need to change? So what were those discussions like? Every organization has these times where you look at your sunk costs. It's daunting to consider that moving away from that investment, you know, abandoning it, so to speak, you know, uh, when you have so much invested it that's always a that's always a, an intimidating or or daunting sort of a decision so you know it's it's not unusual for organizations to do what you're saying stay the course and just keep digging the hole that yep. they're digging right i think you know for us it came evidence that moving in that direction was not going to be sustainable and and when you when you realize that then it may be a difficult conversation to have. It's absolutely a necessary one, and, and it's one that you then can make. And uh, to me, it's it's all about really looking at it as an opportunity, right? You know, as a as a high growth company, I think the most important takeaway overall is that the environment is going to change, and the landscape is constantly evolving. And it's not that we tried something and we failed. Because that's not at all what I'm saying. It's more that we experimented, we tried some things out, and uh, some of what we were trying was working better than some of the other things. And when you look at it like that, then um, changes and, the lens. It's yeah, all about and, you, and you look at it as a as an evolution. Then you know you're able to take those decisions and treat them as opportunities as opposed to uh, looking at them as failures. I was reading Andy Grove's book, and mm-hmm. he was talking about you know when. Intel was a dominant chip maker for memory chips, mm-hmm. and they were experimenting with microprocessors. And the question is, where do we invest? Do we invest in where we have dominance, or do we invest in this new microprocessors side of things? Sure. And so discussions for like six months, eight months, going round and round in circles. And then he had this epiphany one day with Gordon Moore of the famed, uh, you know, double processing power every eighteen months. He says, if the previous leadership got fired and the board brought us in as a new leaders, what would we do? And instantly, both of them simultaneously say, microprocessors. Right. But when you're in the thick of things, sometimes it's hard to see. And just getting that different perspective really gives you insights quickly as opposed to struggling with the past. I would absolutely agree with that. We live in uh, turbulent times. Mm -hmm. What do you think is the biggest challenge in sales right now today? The biggest challenge in sales, I think, is one of noise. Uh, we are working with a lot of companies, you know, and, and I think one of the reasons that we are uh, appealing as a platform is uh, because they are dealing with this issue of digital noise. We have noise overall, right? I mean, we're inundated with advertising visually as we move throughout our day. But when we start to focus on digital, 
right? Uh, the volume of emails we receive is is ever increasing. You know, every time we log into you know social media, our feed is overwhelmed with all kinds of discussions from friends, things we care about, but also many things we don't care about. You know, one of the things I think that is interesting about the human brain is we we really are the best spam filters. You know, in spite of things that may get through our automatic, mechanical, electronic filters, right? right? You know, we, we are, we've gotten very good at glancing at something and saying, this is relevant or this is not relevant for me. And so as the volume of digital information we're assaulted with increases, our brains are getting better and better at just deciding whether we want them to or not, that this is or is not something that we care about. And so cutting through the noise is is a huge challenge in sales. What I think we are all discovering is that the only way to really cut through that noise is if you are able to hitch your pony, so to speak, to a cart that is known, right? Right. Meaning, uh, you know, if you are able to piggyback off of a trusted friend, um, you know, if you we've we've seen the stats, recommendations from friends are trusted Carry a lot above, of weight. Yeah. Right. Above all else, right? So that I think persists today. That that's you know one of the few ways that we can cut through the noise. Otherwise, we have to create more noise, right? So if we're hoping that brand recognition alone is going to carry us to kind of get through that mental filter to say, this is something I want to look at, then the only other real meaningful way to do that is to just over-assault the person and have your brand everywhere. So not all businesses can afford to have their brand uh, be ubiquitous uh, on kind of every single channel. So the rest of the the companies it's really comes down to you know being creative being smart and you know trying to uh, get in the door through so that trusted relationship brian you've got salespeople that work for you mm-hmm. what do you do with a salesperson that's performing well but goes into a slump how do you get them to come out of that slump and kind of get back on track i think we've certainly had that i think salespeople go through slumps for a number of reasons like you know most many of which has nothing to do with the company. You know, a lot of times dealing with relationship breakups, moving, all kinds of things can be distracting. Uh, but also sometimes they go into slumps, just like sports players, right? They have a couple couple bad games. The mindset becomes affected. They start to think. They get in their own head. Uh, don't make a mistake. Don't make a mistake. Sure, sure. Uh, and then they know that they're in a slump. So then they work harder, but the attitude you know, kind of carries through. So, um, you know, for us, when, when that happens, it's, it is, uh, I think, about really looking at the mindset of the person and recognizing that uh, beating them up isn't going to motivate them. Throwing more money at them isn't going to motivate them. If anything, that frustrates them that you've maybe given this opportunity, yeah. but they still got the bad mindset. So, I, you know, I think that's how you treat that symptom is you really need to, you know, have conversations, get the individual to open up about what's going on, get them to recognize and understand that they're dealing with a mindset issue, you know, try to uh, create an environment where they can get sort of the positive feedback, you know, necessary to change that mindset and get them out of that slump. Before we kind of wind this thing up, uh, Brian, what's something you know now that you wish you knew 10 years ago? The number one thing I wish I had known, how long the evolution of this whole social uh, media roller coaster uh, would kind of turn out to be. Uh, And what I mean by that is, you know, I think back in the sort of late 2000, 2006, 7, 8, kind of was social media was really gaining momentum. 
there was so much hype around it, and everybody knew it was going to be compelling and interesting and amazing. And, and it has been. It has changed society, right? I mean, look at the political landscape, like things that no one would have thought could have happened, you know, have happened as a direct result, I think, right. of social media, right? As a tool, we are not that much further along today in 2018 than we were in 2010. Algorithms change. You know, we're dealing with concerns right now around privacy, but privacy has always been a concern. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think that as a technologist and as an optimist, I thought I thought society would be much further along. And to me, I'm looking at that as an opportunity. I mean, I know there's so much more that we could be doing. And, uh, you know, we just need to continue to innovate and, and you know, be, be creative. And I think um, we'll be... I think everyone will be amazed and surprised at, you know, what's around the corner. So, Brian, you're a dad, right? I am, yes. How many children? I have two girls. I have an eight-year-old and one soon-to-be six-year-old. As they grow up, if they decided to go into business, mm -hmm. uh, what would be three pieces of advice you'd give them to uh, give them a leg up on uh, making better decisions, building stronger companies? I think, number one, really uh, ensuring that you have a clear kind of mission and vision in mind at the onset. I think that many businesses start because people have a skill set and they sort of see an opportunity. Before they know it, they suddenly have a business, uh, they're executing on that skill, but they're doing so without direction, Without direction, right? Without that clear mission, without that clear vision, that, that mindset, that, that North Star I mentioned before that kind of guides you when you don't know where you're going. Right. right. And so the result is that the majority of businesses sort of fumble along. Sometimes they're making money, sometimes they're losing money, but they're never really growing at the you know, scale or rate that they potentially could with a, with a clearer vision. So number one would be have that in mind. Number two would be um, treat the business itself as a math problem. I think having an understanding of, of your sort of underlying business model how the financials work. I think that 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 is critical, and that's something I learned. Kind of, I'm going to say the hard way, but uh, you know, my first business I started because, as as I just said, I had a skill set, uh, I enjoyed doing it. But it was uh, only through kind of years of evolution that I came to appreciate what was necessary at a found mathematical level to really ensure mm -hmm. that you can be successful. The third element would be to really just make sure you enjoy and you love what you're doing. There's, you know, definitely, it's definitely possible in life to go down a path and enjoy what you're doing, love it every day, and still be successful, still make money, still be providing value to society or, or delivering on something. But, you know, I, I do think it's easy to get trapped or fall down into a hole where you're maybe doing all the right things, but you wake up one day and you're like, this isn't what's How did I get here? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not making me happy. So, Brian, thanks so much for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. If you enjoyed this episode, please go to iTunes and leave a five-star rating. And if you're looking for more tools, go to my website at nolimitselling.com. I've got a free mind training course there that's going to teach you some insights from the world of neuro-linguistic programming and that is the fastest way to get better results.